This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 337. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastical world of Metamorph City. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. But first, here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 2 of Honor Tested by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 336 to hear this book from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor came and woke up Natasha, who had been hired by her father to serve as Honor's bodyguard and lady's companion. Both of them are excited that Natasha is staying, but when Natasha started to kiss Honor, Honor stopped her with their safe word. Honor admitted that she still wants Natasha, and this strange new world of power exchange she offers, but she's afraid that they're moving too fast. They only just met two days ago, after all, and now that Natasha is staying with House Bellevue, this isn't a simple fling anymore. Honor wants them to get to know each other, to learn who they are when they aren't playing mistress and slave. Natasha agreed that this made sense, and thanked Honor for communicating her needs to her, though privately she wondered if the reason Honor gave was her real reason, or if she was getting scared of her own desires. Either way, though, Natasha would honor her request. The submissive always has the right to say no. After breakfast, they were joined by Mabel, Honor's lady's maid, who took Natasha's measurements so that she could order some clothes for her. Natasha didn't own many clothes, since most of her wardrobe as a guard belonged to House Hassan, and none of what she has would be suitable for a lady's companion. Mabel left to find Natasha a dress for their visit with Noble Alex that afternoon, and Honor and Natasha discussed the maid's many roles in Honor's life, helping with her clothes, hair, and makeup, keeping her chambers in order, and serving as her closest confidant and advisor. Natasha observed that Mabel played many of the same roles a mother would, which unfortunately made Honor sad and upset. Her real mother, after all, abandoned her family when Honor was three years old, so Honor doesn't have much context for what a mother should be. And with Honor having just come of age, it's only natural that she would be thinking of her mother, and how she should have been there for this important moment in Honor's life. To take Honor's mind off of these gloomy thoughts, Natasha proposed a game. Today, when they go out to see noble Alex, Honor will wear the butterfly necklace her mother had left for her, the possibly magical amulet that filled Honor's head with erotic thoughts and fantasies. If Honor can make it through the whole day without masturbating, or having anyone else touch her down there, 
Then tonight, Natasha will sleep in Honor's bed and do whatever Honor asks of her. If Honor can't make it through the whole day, then she must sleep in Natasha's bed and do whatever she asks of her. Either way, Natasha pointed out, it would be fun. They're still slowing down, as Honor requested. They're not taking on the roles of mistress and slave. But this little game will make sure that Honor doesn't forget about her. Honor moaned in frustration. She knew that she could say no, but in truth, she didn't want to. Even though she knew the amulet would likely bombard her with sexual fantasies, getting her hot and bothered while they were out in public, the thought of such humiliation actually made her excited. Honor didn't have the language to think in terms of kinks and fetishes, but the game Natasha proposed touched directly on one of hers. Her mind dreaded that narcotic mixture of arousal and embarrassment, but her body quivered with anticipation. After confirming the terms, if she won, anything she wants, no complaints, no argument, Honor agreed to the wager. Very well, Miss Volkova. The game is on. Honor Tested The House of Bellevue Book 2 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 2 Non progredi est regretti The dress that Mabel acquired might not have been anything fancy according to the maid's estimation, but it was still finer and more beautiful than anything Natasha had ever worn. The cloth was a pastel blue with white accents, which reminded her of the snowdrop flowers that grew on the mountains of her homeland. The fabric was soft to the touch, and very light, which was a good thing, because there was a lot of it. She needed Mabel's help to get into the thing, and the stout little maid had to make use of a stepstool. After a quarter of an hour, and a considerable amount of frustrated cursing, Natasha stood in front of the mirror and took in her reflection with amazement. The dress fit her perfectly. A lace collar opened in a V down to her clavicle, showing off her long, slender neck. The lace continued in a placket down the length of her torso, ending at a belt that cinched in her waistline and accentuated the hips below it. The effect was amplified by the girdle that she wore underneath it, a relatively recent fashion innovation, or so Mabel told her, which would give her more freedom of movement than a true corset. If anything should happen to Lady Ona, and you have to move quick to protect her, the last thing you need is to be stabbing yourself in the guts with whalebone, Mabel said. The sleeves of the dress were close-fitting, ending in a small cuff of lace just below the elbow. The lines of the skirt were long and straight, with fewer pleats and ruffles than Natasha had expected, and fell to a few inches above her ankles, all which had the effect of emphasizing her long legs. A small bustle held up the hem of the dress in back, enough to make walking easier without looking like she was carrying a giant snail shell on her ass. Mabel had helped her with her hair as well. Her long, blonde tresses were done up in a bun and secured under a small bonnet, which matched the color of the dress and had a few small white feathers as accents. Her makeup was subtler than the dramatic look that Irene had given her for the Duke's ball, with less mascara 
and just a touch of blue eyeshadow. The soft pink lipstick Mabel chose made her look more feminine, and perhaps a bit less threatening. On the whole, Natasha had to admit that the outfit flattered her. She had been to weddings in the Esherad where the bride had not looked so elegant. This is good, she said, smiling at Mabel's reflection in the mirror. Thank you for your help. Any time, lovey, Mabel said, and patted her on the arm. Just you be sure to take good care of our little Anna, hear me? She's a sweet girl, and the city's like to get her in trouble. I will do this, Natasha promised. Mabel hurried off to finish helping Honor, and Natasha went downstairs to wait for her. Lord Bellevue was already gone, along with his cousins, so she wandered around the apartment looking at the various odds and ends on display. Bellevue seemed to have an affection for clever bits of machinery. In addition to the wax cylinder phonograph, Natasha saw a grandfather clock, a telescope, several maritime navigational instruments, an orrery showing the sun and seven of the planets, and countless small spring-powered toys and gizmos. One of the sitting rooms held a large standing globe, mounted in a double ring that allowed it to be rotated in any direction. The back wall of the same room was lined with bookshelves, filled with volumes on everything from nature to history to adventure stories. Picking out books more or less at random, Natasha noticed that many of them were the journals of great explorers, men who had traveled far and seen more of the world than most people could imagine. She sensed that Lord Bellevue was a man who felt tied down to one small corner of a very big world, bound to his house and his duties, and that he had tried to compensate for this by living vicariously through the adventures of others. In spite of the obvious wealth and comfort he enjoyed, Natasha felt a little sad for him. She sat down in one of the room's armchairs and spent a while reading the journal of an airship captain, who had run trade routes all over southern Galendor and northern Songafield during the interbellum years. Natasha found the chapter on Vieshrod somewhat amusing. The man had had only the barest grasp of the Vieshan language, and she could sympathize with the trouble he had gotten himself into with his frequent misunderstandings. She laughed out loud when she read about his encounter with one shopkeeper, a woman who knitted intricately patterned blankets with several different spools of yarn. The curious captain had tried to ask how she kept the yarn from tangling while she worked on her beautiful blankets, but due to an unfortunate pair of Yeshin homophones, he had actually asked if she was a prostitute and said she must look beautiful under the covers. She had, understandably, chased him out of her shop with a pair of foot-long knitting needles. It sounds like someone is having fun. Natasha looked up to honor gliding into the room, resplendent in an emerald green walking dress with black velvet accents. The dress had a scoop neck that showed off her mother's amulet, the dark stone in its center glittering with streaks of blue, red, and green. Her mascara and eyeshadow made her brilliant blue eyes look even larger and more jewel-like than usual. She glanced down at the book Natasha was reading, and grinned. A life in the clouds. How do you like it? Natasha answered her smile with one of her own. He is good storyteller, and he does not use so many fancy words, so is easy to read.
She opened to the center of the book, where the plates with color illustrations had been inserted. And I liked the pictures. Honor nodded. Stevenson has always been a favorite of mine. When I was little, I used to imagine myself on the deck of his airship, having adventures in exotic lands. She sighed and looked away, her expression wistful. It's silly, I know. Not silly, Natasha said, closing the book and setting it on an end table. She rose and went over to Warner, put her hands on her upper arms and gently squeezed. There is no knowing what future brings. Look at me. When I lived on Little Farm in Vieshrad, never did I think I would be here, companion to beautiful lady. Honor blushed prettily at that, as Natasha had hoped she would. She smiled wryly up at her, looking at her from the corner of one eye. I suppose not, she conceded. Flatterer. I speak only truth, Natasha said gravely. She placed a gentle finger on the butterfly, tracing the loops of metal where it lay against Honor's skin. This looks good on you. Honor wrapped both her hands around Natasha's, stilling its motion, and gave her a mock glare. Do not go trying to get me excited before we even leave the house. That's cheating. Natasha grinned again, then raised Honor's joined hands to her lips and lightly kissed the knuckles. As you wish, my lady. The Townsend Estate was on a quarter acre of prime land in the city's central district. The Townsends had made efficient use of the limited space. Rather than building an outer fence around the grounds and a smaller house inside it, they had built a single massive edifice that ran right up to the sidewalk. Honor craned her neck to look up at the thing as they approached, and her brain could hardly make sense of what she was seeing. Ten stories in a single building— a tower that seemed to scrape the sky. It looked to be made more of glass than stone, with row after row of windows that were nearly as tall as the stories themselves. Elegantly carved ledges of white stone separated each story from the next, and the corners of each ledge were decorated with gargoyles. At the top of the building, a thin metal spire extended even further into the sky. Honor recognized it as a wireless communications tower, like the ones used to communicate with the airships at Matthias Airfield. She wondered why private citizens, even a noble house, would have use for such a device. On the ground floor, a line of caryatid pillars held up a broad portico at the front of the building. The statues were all of beautiful women, carved in white marble and ten feet high, not including the four-foot pedestals on which they stood. The lintel of the portico held an inscription. Non progredi est regretti. Natasha frowned up at the words as they approached. This is not common, she said. What does it say? It's in Oatswilman, Honor said. It says, to not go forward is to go backward. An appropriate motto, she thought, for a house of the progressive wing. They passed through the front doors, walked twenty feet down an ornate entry corridor, and entered a vast open space, a concourse with marble columns and high vaulted ceilings. Lift tubes rose through the middle of the chamber, the cars enclosed in glass around a gilded frame. 
Two layers of suspended walkways lined the sides of the concourse, dividing it into three floors. All around the chamber, on all three levels, the walls were lined with dozens of small shops. Florists and booksellers, tailors and cobblers, perfumers and watchmakers and tea shops, and a dozen others Honor could not easily identify. People bustled here and there among the shops, a throng as vast as any she had seen on the streets outside. Enchanted globe lights hung from the ceiling far overhead, filling the space with a warm, sunny radiance that almost made her think she was outside, though the air was heavy with the scents of perfume and incense, rather than smoke, urine, and horse manure. Bliad, Natasha said, as she stared wide-eyed at the enormous market around them. This is... What is this? The future, Miss Velkova, Noble Alex called, from somewhere behind them and to the right. Honor turned and looked. Alex sat about six feet away from them, at a table in front of a small tea shop. With all the other people coming and going around them, Honor had not even noticed. The androgyne was in their feminine form, looking perhaps even more lovely and curvaceous than last night. They wore a scandalously low-cut dress of emerald green, with short ruffled sleeves and a hem that stopped some ten inches above their ankles. A pearl necklace hung to mid-sternum, with a mother-of-pearl locket perched above their enticing décolletage. Their corset was on the outside of the dress, in the usual androgyne style, and it was made of glossy black leather with gilded metal studs. They had a pair of thin open-work sandals with leather straps on their long shapely feet, and diamond rings sparkled on each second toe. The butterfly amulet warmed on her chest, and a vision ran vividly through Honor's mind. She saw herself kneeling before those feet, kissing them, rubbing them lovingly against her face, before continuing a line of kisses up the leg and inner thigh. She smelled the musk of Alex's arousal, and envisioned herself burying her head between their legs to lap at wet and waiting folds. Lady Honor, Alex said, rising to their feet and opening their arms in greeting. I am so glad you could come. Please, won't you both join me for some refreshment? They gestured down at the table, which had two other place settings, a teapot, and a small tower of biscuits and finger sandwiches. Honor shook off the vision and tried to ignore the burning in her cheeks. Thank you, noble Alex. We would be delighted. They took the two remaining chairs, Honor sitting nearest to Alex and Natasha sitting across from them on her other side. Alex poured tea for them both, then raised their own cup in salute before drinking. Honor copied the gesture. Natasha busied herself with loading a small plate with biscuits and sandwiches. Honor's chair placed her back to the wall of the shop so she could look out into the concourse and watch the people going by. Judging by their general attire, Honor guessed that most of them were either gentry or commoners of the upper-middle strata. Most of those making the rounds among the shops were women, though she did see some obvious androgynes, and a few men walking briskly with bags or briefcases in hand. "'I must confess,' Honor said, "'when you invited me to your home, I was not expecting quite so many people.' Alex chuckled. <laughs> yes, I'm sure this is rather a shock to the system, coming from the countryside. But I am glad to have the chance to show it to you. 
I truly believe that this is the way of the future. They waved an encompassing hand at the space around and above them. More people come to the city every year, but we are running out of places to put them. Land in the valley is precious, and most of it is held in entailments by the noble houses. The only solution is to build up. They pointed to the lift tubes, just as one of the cars passed through the ceiling of the third level and out of sight. Here at street level, we have space for commerce, a shopping district free from the vagaries of the weather. The next two floors hold offices, for solicitors, bookkeepers, government officials and the like. Stories six through eight are the residential zone. We have apartments for rent, as well as some common spaces for community events, including a chamber orchestra and a small theatre. And the top two stories are the private residence, for my parents, myself, and a few other house members. Alex lowered their hand, long fingers delicately retrieving a biscuit on the way. All the conveniences of city living, they said in summary, waving the biscuit before their full feminine lips. And I don't even have to call for a carriage. They slipped the biscuit into their mouth, chewed, and swallowed, and somehow made the whole process look like an erotic act. Honor's nethers twinged, and she pressed her knees together under her skirts. I can see the advantages, she admitted. How long has this... What do you call this building, anyway? And how long has it been here? Townsend Tower, Alex said. It first opened to the public four years ago, though most of the space wasn't rented until the war ended. My parents were building it for two years before that, and before that they spent the better part of a decade figuring out how to do it, by which I mean the technical challenges, of course, but also fighting with the city to even get permission to try. They shook their head as if in amazement. It took a mighty will for my parents to build this place, and diplomacy, and knowledge, and vision. I don't think anyone else would have been able to do it. Well, perhaps the Bright Leafs. They're mad enough to try, anyway. I hear their Count is talking about building his own tower now, and making it thirty stories tall. Honor blinked. Is... is that even possible? Alex grinned, their golden-brown eyes sparkling. I suppose we'll see, won't we? I'm glad someone's trying at any rate. We'll need the room before long. Honor grinned back at them. Non progredi, estregredi? Alex raised their teacup in another salute. Exactly so, Lady Honor. And that's the end of Chapter 2. Come back next time when Alex invites Honor into their secret garden. And no, that's not a euphemism. The House of Bellevue will be released over 51 weeks at a rate of one chapter per week. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Stephen King said, I have spent a good many years since, too many, I think, being ashamed about what I write. I think I was 40 before I realized that almost every writer of fiction or poetry who has ever published a line has been accused by someone of wasting his or her God-given talent. 
If you write, or paint, or dance, or sculpt, or sing, I suppose, someone will try to make you feel lousy about it. That's all. So, check your shame at the door, and follow me to the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of July 9th through July 15th. I wrote 3,225 words this week, over the course of 4.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 759 words per hour. I wrote on 4 out of 7 days this week. This week I continued working on my story prep for Maid of Honor. One of the biggest questions I've been wrestling with is what to do with Natasha in this book. With the focus on my new viewpoint character, Evie, and how she relates to Honor, I needed to figure out what Natasha will be doing. Honor and Alex are getting married at the start of this book, and a married woman doesn't need a lady's companion anymore. We know who Natasha is to Honor in private, but what is the public face of their relationship? And what will Natasha do with her time, now that she doesn't have to escort Honor everywhere? This week I fleshed out an idea on this front, and I think it's a good one. It provides some opportunities for struggle, setbacks, and conflict, which are the keys to any good story. And it ties in directly with Evie's story arc, and allows for a more satisfying ending. I'm being deliberately vague, I know, but I don't want to give away any important plot twists. Besides, if my writing experience has taught me anything, the actual story will probably end up being somewhat different from what I've imagined. The important thing is that I've got a direction in mind for Natasha's story arc now. Very soon, I think I'll be ready to actually start writing this thing. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.